0: You turn to Philippians chapter one. We're going to be looking at the very last phrase in verse eighteen, and then going through verse twenty-six. Philippians one eighteen to twenty-six. Just a reminder of you know, where we've been in this letter of of Paul's to the Philippians, and what he's really trying to get at here. Um, this is this is a dear church for Paul. This is a, a church he's been writing to. He he has established this church, and he hasn't been able to go back and see them. He's in Rome. He is incarcerated currently. So he's writing this letter in chains, literally. And this is a church, a good church, not, a, not a, a, a struggling church like the church in Corinth. But it's a church that, like all churches, we have the capacity to get on each other's nerves, to, to do what we want, to have our own interests and not think about the interests of others. People are in conflict. In this church. And so what he's trying to do is remind them of what is the most important thing. He's trying to retrain their eyes and, and and put their eyes on Jesus and to tell them Jesus is worth it all. Jesus is better than anything in this life. Anything in this life. And so he's he's focusing on Christ, and that is where his joy comes from. That's where his joy comes from. And that's what he's trying to get this church to see. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word, we're we're going to be in, uh, I'm going to read all of 18 actually and go through verse 26 to give us more context. It says God's word, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, again. This is God's word. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, may my words and all of our thoughts collectively be acceptable and honoring in your sight. Teach us through your word this morning. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have a little challenge as we get started. I have a challenge for the kids. As you know, we're coming up to Thanksgiving on Thursday. And so as you, as you kids come to the table, the Thanksgiving table on Thursday, I want to challenge you. I know all of you are drawn toward some of your favorite foods like mac and cheese and rolls. Those are on the top of my kids' list. And then all the pies. And when you think about those things, you think some of that is good and then there's better, right? So maybe at the top of that list for you is, is rolls or the top of that list is uh, mac and cheese. Well, I, wanna, I want you to think about the other side of the table, the table you don't think about as much, the green side of the table, right? The, the green bean casserole, the Brussels sprouts, the cranberry sauce. And you may be thinking about that and thinking, ah, that, is, that is bad. Some of that stuff is bad and some of that is just worse, I remember as a kid growing up, looking at my mom's plate and seeing cranberry sauce and thinking, what is she doing? (laughs) What is she doing with that stuff? But I want you to try some green bean casserole this this coming Thursday, some Brussels sprouts. And I want you to come back to me and tell me that you actually enjoyed one of those new things you tried. And that instead of thinking of the vegetables as, as bad to worse, now you're thinking... That was pretty good. And you know what? That cranberry sauce was even better. I actually liked it as I mixed it in with my mashed potatoes and turkey. As we look at Paul's situation this morning, we would think as he's in jail and he's contemplating execution that he is going from bad, I'm in jail, bad, worse would be death. But he's flipped that around on its head. And he's thinking, it's good that I'm in chains because I'm getting the gospel message out. That is good that I can do that. That I'm still alive is a good thing, that I have the possibility of coming to you, Philippians, in person. But what would be even better is if I'm executed and I go to be with Jesus, right? He is, he's flipped it on its head. We typically think those would be awful things, to be in jail, And then to be executed. And he's saying, no, Jesus is better than life. Jesus is better than anything I could possibly lose in this life. And so he's in a dilemma. He gives us a dilemma. He's he's hard pressed, he says, between, not between something bad and worse, but between, between something good and better. And again, he's talking about his joy. He's talking about rejoicing. What gives him joy, again, in this letter? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's it, period. Jesus Christ gives him joy, whether he lives or whether he dies. And so that's the lesson we have this morning, is that Jesus is far better than what we can gain in this life or in what we can lose in death. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning but the first thing we see that controls his whole thought process, you'd, you'd think, is, is verse 21, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And we're going to get there. But I first want to go to verse 20, where he says, Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Right, that is his controlling thought. That, that is his goal, that Christ will be magnified. In me, you know, I've often thought, "What are slugs for?" We—I know that seems random. We had slugs all summer long under our porch, and they would crawl when night would come, and they would crawl onto our sidewalk and then up on our steps. And they're—they're big, and sometimes you wouldn't see them. And one summer night, I stepped on one, and this. The juice of it like went up my leg, and it was cold and nasty. And I've often thought, "What are these for? (laughs) Like, why do they exist?" Maybe if if you know biology, maybe you can tell me. But I I ask that because you know, why do we exist? Have you ever thought about that? that? That's a it's a it's a vital question to your life. What are humans for? Why are we here? It's so very important to ask that question, and in our day. Our culture has a very interesting answer to that question. Modernity's answer to that question as to what humans are for is simply, I exist for whatever purpose, identity, meaning that I want to create for myself. That's why I exist. It's called self-actualization. That is the goal of of our modern world, to, to reach your full potential, to fully realize your potential, to become your potentialities, In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, actually, the self-actualization is the highest level of psychological development. And so the answer to that question, more and more frequently, what are humans for, is frequently turned back on itself, ourselves, and we get to decide who, what, and why we are. Christianity gives us a very different answer. The Bible gives us a very different answer. We exist not for ourselves but for the one who made us. That's why we're here. And more than that, the one who saved us and loves us in the person of Christ. That's absolutely foundational to everything about Christianity. We will not function properly as humans if we do not understand our purpose for existing. For example, a watch will not operate correctly if it's used as a hammer. A boat will not operate correctly if it's used as a hang glider. A person will not operate correctly if we're removed from our maker's design. And what is that design? Paul says it here. We exist to magnify, to honor Jesus Christ, the invisible God made visible. That is his goal, and that's what he's trying to teach us this morning that Christ will be honored in my body. Now going back a few verses, he's, he's reminding them that he's going to rejoice because of their prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And so Paul was sure of his deliverance. Now what exactly? What does he mean by deliverance? What is he sure of? Which deliverance? Was he speaking merely of Caesar's decision? Well, it does as I was reading this he is optimistic that he will be relieved of this and he will see them again but which decision which deliverance is he truly sure of it's it's God's decision isn't it it's of God's decision to deliver him to save him when Jesus saved him when Jesus opened his eyes of his need for Christ he was sure of his deliverance then and he's hopeful he is hopeful of his deliverance out of prison. And so he says, "If it so will turn out for my deliverance, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. And here we're reminded there's no shame, no lasting shame for living for Jesus and his gospel. He says something similar in Romans chapter 1. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. Because, brothers and sisters, following Christ comes with worldly shame. It comes with mocking. You will be labeled a, a fool if you follow Christ. Why? Why does the world mock Christianity? Because it's seen as weak to deny yourself to serve your Lord and Savior. There is shame. There's worldly shame that comes with that. But it is not truly shameful because it's the most joyful and life-giving experience you could ever live to be at peace with your God and Savior who died in shame but who was risen in glory. And so he says, I will not be ashamed at all but that with full courage now and always Christ will be honored in my body. Why does he say in my body? Let's unpack that. Christ will be honored in my body. Well, he's reminding them that faith must be lived out. Paul is not in some ivory tower studying theology and writing them letters. He is in jail. He, has, he, he, he is linked to another guard and he cannot leave and he is heading toward execution. His body is fully involved in this process. He is living it out. The Christian faith is Believing in Christ is no mere intel- intellectual exercise. It involves tears. It involves laughs. It involves what we're doing right now community and service and being known and serving others. Honoring Christ takes every ounce of us, of our body and soul. He says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or Or death, And here we see, we get confirmation here, whether by life or death, that Paul really doesn't have supernatural insight into his fate before Caesar. He really doesn't. He's giving the two options. I can live, I can die, depending on Caesar's decision. And you know why that gives me hope? Because in the end, what that reminds me of is that Paul is just like us. He's walking by faith. He's walking into the next day not knowing what's going to happen. He doesn't have that supernatural prophetic ability. He's just like you and me in that way. He's just a normal guy. It also means his faith is attainable, having faith like Paul, no matter the circumstance. So that's the first major idea, that that Jesus is better than everything else. Christ will be honored, magnified in his body, whatever happens. The second idea is, okay, so Jesus is better. Well, let's unpack what he says in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm going to spend the rest of our time unpacking that rich verse that many of us know and have have loved and have heard. First idea that's that's in that, that phrase, for to me, to live is Christ, What he's saying is Jesus is better than anything that you could possibly achieve or gain in this world, in this life. Because in Jesus, you already possess everything. You already have everything that matters because you have Jesus. To live is Christ. Nothing compares to Jesus you might be wondering, what does he mean by to die is gain? What does he mean by the word gain in the second phrase? Well, I want to actually, to unpack that, we need to go to chapter 3. So look over at chapter 3 and go to verse 7 and 8. He uses the same word. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. But whatever gain I had, here he's talking about all that worldly achievement, anything that you could do in this world apart from Christ, he says, I count it as loss, I throw it away, it's rubbish. Why? So that I might gain Christ. You know, no amount of money that you can make will ever satisfy you. The kids are going to memorize a verse, or they have been memorizing a verse, and they're going to do it in, in Sunday school later. So I'll give them a little extra learning moment. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six twenty one. What you treasure, your heart will be linked to. Right? And it will not satisfy if, if money is all that you want. And also no amount of pleasure will make you satisfied. No amount of comfort, no, no amount of earthly joy. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher in chapter 2 says, well, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also Vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he, so he spends many days in pleasure, trying to do as much, have as much fun as he possibly could. And where did it, where did it take him? Then I considered all my hands had done and the toil I'd expended in doing it and behold, all was vanity. That word vanity shows up a lot in Ecclesiastes. It it means wind. It means breath. It means something that just dissipates. doesn't last. It was a striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You see, to understand to live as Christ is to know that everything in this life will disappear. Money will disappear pleasure will come and go it will not last but christ will always last he will always be there for you and so to fully understand christ to fully treasure him he has to become everything to you everything to you many of you know the author of the hymn amazing grace john newton john newton was a former slave trader turned abolitionist and pastor of a small town in England who had a conversion to Christ. And it was a dramatic conversion, just like the storm that almost claimed his life in 1748. And he wrote many letters as a pastor. And as in one of those letters, he was writing about the end of his life. And when he thought about dying, he thought about this. He said this, it will not be a burden to me at the hour of death that I have thought too highly of Jesus, expected too much from him myself, or labored too much in commending and setting him forth to others. Do you hear what he's saying? It won't be a burden to me to think, oh, I spent way too much treasuring Jesus. He's not going to be burdened with that. He said, you will never regret the time you spent cherishing Jesus and sharing him with others. We're never going to have that regret. If anything, the only regret we'll have is that we didn't do it enough. We didn't keep doing it. And so as we end this point, how will you live your life well? If to live is Christ, how do you do that well? You you guys might be thinking, you know, I've got a family to raise. I've got a job. Uh, What does this mean to live is Christ? Does it mean I need to go be a monk in Europe? Do I need to separate myself from all my responsibilities? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you need to be a missionary and go reach Muslims? Not necessarily. I pray that it might lead some of you to that. We need more missionaries. But for most of us, it just means this, that do your job, raise your family to the glory of Jesus. Everything you do, let his praise, let his honor be the motivation for it. And we struggle with this, giving your life to Christ, following him wherever, because sometimes we ask the question, will Jesus really be enough? Will he be enough? Will he be there for me when I really need him? Well, I'm here to tell you he really will. He really will be enough. He is enough currently. He never will let you down because he never let himself down off the cross to save you in order to... To bring you to him. His devotion to you always outweighs your devotion to him. He will be enough. So this is the the second idea that Jesus is better than anything we can attain in this life. He's also better than anything that can be lost in death. Again, let me read it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if in Jesus we already have everything we need, it also means in Jesus we can lose everything else and be okay. Even your very life, you can lose. But You might be asking, how is it gain to die? What do we gain when we die? It's a really important question. Many people ask it. As we, as we get older, near, near the end of our life, we ask, what am I, I going to gain here when, when I lose my life? I'm going to give you five things we gain. Number one, your spirit will be made perfect. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about entering into heaven. And it says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gatherings to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And here it is, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. No more sin. No more of your sin. No more of those sins you struggle with, those habits that you struggle with. There will be no more sin in us. We'll be done with that inner war and all those heart-rending disappointments of offending the Lord who loved us and gave himself. Us. I was thinking, when you go to heaven and, and, and worship God, there'll be no moment of confession of sin. That's the one big difference between our, our worship now and our worship in heaven. No more, no more sin. Number two, what do we gain in death? We will be relieved of the pain of this world. No more pain in the world and in your body. The joy of the resurrection Will not yet be ours. We'll be waiting for the resurrection, but the joy of freedom from pain will be. I wanted to mention this. If, if you were here on Friday night at the church, you would have seen a group meeting here, and they're called the Smithfield Shakers. I'm not sure what you think of when you think, "Well, what could that mean?" Well, that's the local Parkinson's group, and they meet here. And um, and Connie did a great job arranging that, and I, st- I stepped stopped in and, and, and uh, saw the beginning of their meeting, and, um, and as I was leaving, uh, Bill, you don't know this, but I, I looked at you as you were praying for them, and you were all dressed up to provide the food, and it was one of those poignant moments where he's like, that is what he's doing, what Connie has done. It's just so sweet that you take time to serve and to love and to point people to a greater hope beyond our body. That's such an encouraging thing to see, so thank you for modeling that for me. That we can look beyond that pain and know that pain, know that, that our, our aching bodies, the diseases that we struggle against, is just temporary. Revelation 21, he'll wipe away every tear from our eye and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore where the former things have passed away. Such a beautiful promise of something we gain when we die. Number three, what, what do we gain? We will be given profound rest in our souls. How are you feeling lately? Are you feeling rested in your soul? Or do you feel anxious? Do you feel unsettled? The hope after death is that you will have perfect rest. There will be this serenity beneath the eye and care of God that surpasses anything we've ever known here on earth, even the softest summer evening by the most peaceful lake at our most happy moments. You'll be at peace. In Revelation 6, it talks about those who've been slain, those who've been martyred for the faith. And they ask God, O sovereign Lord, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer. Did you catch that? They're resting. In heaven, after you die, you're at peace. You are resting. That is a hope that we have. The fourth thing we gain in death is that we'll experience a deep at-homeness. We'll be at home. We'll be at home. Have any of you, as, maybe as a kid or maybe even older, Have you felt real homesick before? Ever been homesick? Maybe you were at camp and you were struggling and you missed your home. It's funny, as I think about that, probably the the most homesick I ever felt wasn't when I was away from home. I was at home, but my parents were not home. And I remember my grandparents were home. But I remember sleeping in their bed when they were gone and not sleeping a wink trying to sleep but could not go to bed because I was homesick at home and so it makes you think what is homesick really what is that really well it's to to be homesick is to miss the people you love it's to not be with the people you love Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, 8 we are of good courage we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord when we're away from the body, when we die, we go to be at home with with the Lord, in his presence, with the one who loves us. And so, so see, the whole human race is homesick for God, and many of them don't know it. And so when we go home to be with Christ, there will be this contentment beyond any sense of security and peace we've ever known. How awesome will that be? The fifth thing we gain in death is that we'll be with Christ. Very similar to we'll be at home, but we'll be with Christ. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in this passage. He says, my desire is to depart. What he means there is die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If any of you have ever struggled with the question, what happens when I immediately die? If you're a believer in Jesus, you go directly into his arms you go directly into his presence. That's what Paul is telling us in these two different passages. And that's so good. That's so awesome because Christ is more, he's the most wonderful person than anybody on the earth. He's far wiser, stronger, kinder than anyone you've ever spent time with. He knows exactly what to do and what to say at every moment to make his guests feel as possibly welcomed and loved as as possible. He overflows in love an infinite insight into how to use that love to make his loved ones feel loved. You ever been around someone like that who knew exactly what to say, when, and how to love you? He does that perfectly every time. That's such a a blessing to know that when we die, we're going to be with Christ. And so as we contemplate what he's saying here, to live as Christ and to die as gain, we should ask ourselves the question how do we die well? We're all heading there. How do we do it well? We need to remember that death is merely a doorway into Jesus' arms. Do not forget that. Death is a doorway into Jesus' arms. Paul had a dilemma not between something bad and worse, but between something good and better. And he knew it was good for him to be with the Philippians, but far better for himself to be with Jesus. So ask yourself, and maybe you are asking, will Jesus be with me when life is slipping away? Will he be there? Because it's true that not only will he be on the other side of that door, but he will be with you through his spirit all the way through that door. And here's the good news. He went through that doorway first. He went through that doorway of death for you first. And he is truly better than anything we can gain in this life and anything we can lose in death. There's only one person you can give yourself to that's already given himself to you. And that's Jesus. And he did it all the way to death. And we can trust him. So as you meet this this Thursday with your family, maybe some family that you haven't seen in a while, maybe some family you know don't believe in Jesus, let's share that message. Have that message on your mind that Jesus is better than anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our good God, for sending Jesus to be that perfect Savior that we need. And we trust you that as we don't know our days, we don't know the future, as Paul didn't, we can wake up every day knowing you know the future, knowing that we are in your hand, and that you will walk with us through that, through that suffering, through that pain with joy, keeping us afloat. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.